Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. As always, I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor of the Deseret News, and very pleased to be joined now by our friend and uh, tag team polling partner, Scott Rasmussen from down in Florida. Scott, how are you today? I'm doing great. Life is good. I hope all is well in Utah. It is a uh, beautiful day today. Cooled off here uh, officially September 1st. The temperature dropped by like 30 degrees last night, I think. And uh, so we're we're in good shape here. Uh, you wrote a brilliant piece uh, at Deseret.com this week. And uh, it, it as a data geek, uh, as we know you are, uh, I loved where you started with this whole thing in terms of the importance of good data calculation and how you set the parameters uh, but you started with a uh, with a wonderful baseball story, which of course makes makes it a good story. <laughs> yeah, and it's a story that uh, just by telling it, I acknowledge uh, how many years I've been around. But uh, <laughs> it was in the late '60s or early '70s, back when we actually had these print thing newspapers, and I read this story that Babe Ruth had hit his 715th home run. And you know, a kid in that era, we grew up knowing the magic number was 714. And Babe Ruth had been dead for a few decades, and I was kind of surprised to see that he got another home run. <laughs> uh, and as you read the story, it turns out Major League Baseball had commissioned a group to go back and, you know, check all the old box scores, make sure they added everything up correctly and got the right numbers. And there was a moment uh, when Babe had come to the plate, and there was a man on first, and he hit what today we would call a walk-off home run. But in those days, they counted it only as a triple. And why? Well, because at least the way they looked at baseball back in the in the 20s, uh, when that man on first base scored and Babe Ruth was still on third, the game ended, so they gave him credit for a triple. So the statisticians doing the review said, oh, well, we, we with the new rules, it's really 7-15, and they changed it. Uh, the commissioner eventually overruled them. But, you know, the idea was – carefully calculating the numbers that determined how many home runs he hit. It's how you defined a home run. And uh, another example I used, one of my favorite all-time examples, uh, is there was, a, in the, this was late 80s or 90s, a group came out and listed the greatest jobs of all time, and, or the greatest jobs you could get, and number one on the list was being an actuary. <laughs> and being a major league baseball player was not even in the top 200 jobs. Wow. And you know, Boyd, I'm sure you dreamed of being a major league ball player. A lot of kids I knew did. Nobody yeah. I knew dreamed of being an actuary. Uh, so how did they reach this this absurd conclusion? Well, first of all, they defined it by saying if you work outdoors, that's less desirable than working indoors. And if you're in a competitive environment, that's less desirable. And, oh, by the way, you know, once you get above a certain, like, fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars $75,000 pay level, it doesn't really make any difference. So what they were trying to tell me is that Garrett Cole, who makes $36 million a year for pitching, has a less desirable job than an actuary because he 
has to work outdoors, has to be in a competitive environment, sometimes it's night. I mean, this was absurd, but it was defining the the parameters that made the data bad. It wasn't the counting. Yeah, and I, um, I think that's that's so important for us to to think that through because we we get inundated with a with a lot of data these days and a lot of different studies and and polling and all of the different things and uh, it's so important for us as consumers of that data to make sure that we stop and say, okay, what are they really measuring? How are they really measuring it? How are they defining things? Uh, and that applies from whether you're looking at what uh, vocation you ought to pursue as a college student or uh, or how you actually count and deal with people who have COVID-19. Yeah, and that was the reason I wrote the whole story. The New York Times came out with a story uh, just a couple days ago saying that you know we may have been counting the number of COVID cases entirely wrong. And, you know, I'm not a medical expert, and you can get lost in all the technical details, but what the New York Times was saying is they put these um, parameters on. They defined your infection uh, in such a way that if you'd ever had it, whether you were infectious or courageous or uh, contagious or not, you were listed as having it and therefore encouraged to play, be placed in social isolation. And a number of experts they talked to were kind of surprised at how those parameters had been set. And if you set them at a more, what a lot of people would say is a more appropriate level, um, you would reduce the number of people who should be socially isolated by 90%. I mean, this is not a little error. This, this is as bad as saying being an actuary is the best job and being a major league baseball player is like 200th best job. Um, the New York one day last week, we had 45,000 people who tested positive. Uh, probably only 4,500 of them were really contagious. And, and by the way, this is the New York Times. You know, this is not uh, some anti-lockdown uh, group. Uh, this is a group that's been made is when you start to have bad data, then bad policy results follow. And these numbers that we've been relying on, uh, you know, and some people have every day, how many have driven policy in a way that that was problematic. Yeah, and I I think that's the important thing. And and obviously we're uh, we're not saying anything about testing. We should keep testing going. In fact, we should probably do more. We just need to do it better. Uh, and it's yep. not to to minimize any of the the pieces of this. Uh, but I think one one of the things that has really uh, kept echoing in my head early on in this pandemic. Uh, I was I was talking with a member of Congress who had been to one of the, you know, behind closed doors, secure briefings. And uh, this member of Congress said that when you get all of the experts off the stage, away from the podiums, away from microphones and all of that, the there's only one thing that they all agree on. And that was that they all had no idea how this would play out because it was so novel and so different. They weren't sure how it would react, what you know, the right you know measures were. Uh, and I think we we continue to see that. And so one of, one of the areas of caution uh, is something we talk about a lot on this program, and that is beware of the instant certainty. Uh, and, Scott, it's yeah. one of the things I appreciate about how you approach polling uh, and numbers and data is you're you're never looking for that instant certainty piece because you're always going to look behind the numbers. It's always the cross tabs that uh, they get to the interesting stuff, and, and we need to do that whether that's with a pandemic or with whether that's with a presidential poll. That's right. And and by the way, when I say that we you know we've been using the wrong numbers, uh, I'm not suggesting there was a conspiracy theory. 
um, or anything else. It was just nobody knew how to deal with this. They had to put some numbers to it. But now we're learning a little more, and we need to put that learning into effect, and and we need to think of a different approach of testing. And we need to I mean about 45% of the people who have died from COVID were in nursing homes. You know, there may be a more nuanced and targeted approach right. to some of our responses. And again, I'm not a medical expert. I'm not the person who's going to be defining the policy. Uh, but this data, this fact that, you know, we now have a new look at the testing that we've been doing, it should cause us all to, to rethink what we've done so far and then to figure out, okay, how do we find some better measures? Maybe there's some other tests that aren't quite as precise, but that get us most of the way there, and we can all do them a lot more. Uh, and some of them are pretty simple. You know, you walk somewhere and they do a, a test to see if you have a temperature. Well, it's not perfect to start. Yeah. And maybe there's other testing that we'll do. Yeah. Great, uh, great, great insight. Uh, real quickly, we just got about a minute left here, Scott, and I know you've got some more uh, polling that you've done over the weekend and some things that you're going to be sharing as you go through the week. Uh, and a lot of it is about how people view how we should step forward in this pandemic. And it seems uh, to me that there is a little bit of a divide amongst the Democrats in terms of how they think we should move forward. And is that going to be a political challenge for them moving into the fall? Yeah, I think the the ground is shifting a little bit on perceptions of the pandemic. Much polling I've done in recent weeks show that a growing number of people believe the worst is behind us. Again, doesn't mean they're dismissing it, but it's behind us. And some polling we did this past weekend, we asked people, you know, should we to fight the coronavirus? Do we need to just, you know lock things down again until it's completely behind us, or do we need to adapt to the ongoing reality that it's going to be with us a while um, and move forward? Uh, most Americans, 59%, say we should adapt and move forward. Republicans overwhelmingly hold that view. So do independents. Democrats are evenly divided. And I think the more the nation begins to move, you know, get that itch to move forward, to, to move forward safely, uh, the more the idea of, you know, lockdowns will seem to be a problem for the Democrats. Um, right now, too early to tell. My latest polling shows Joe Biden is still up by a few points. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to overstate the implications of this. But, yes, it looks like America is saying, OK, this is a reality. We've hunkered down, but now it's time to adapt and move forward. Mm, fantastic. Scott Rasmussen, always appreciate your perspective uh, by the numbers, by the data. And uh, we have much more to discuss with you. We'll talk to you again real soon. Okay, thank you. All right, again, that's uh, Scott Rasmussen joining us from Florida, as always, and uh, so important for us to to step back from the numbers and the data uh, because you do have to to assess what are we measuring? Are we measuring the right things in the right way? Uh, I love the example of uh, you know a major league baseball player not even being on the top two hundred list uh, of desirable jobs, even though uh, you could make you know ten, twenty, thirty million a year, but because you play outside in a competitive environment, it's less desirable. So always be wary of the numbers. Always look behind the numbers. Uh, one of the reasons we always invite Scott to join us uh, so we can get that full perspective in terms of what's going on. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, you don't want to miss this, an elevated conversation with Mara Carabello from Exoro Group. Always great to talk with her. Always learn something. Stay with us here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast Cold. 
Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.